10 years ago when there was discussion about putting in fair gates and spending yeah. $80 yeah. million dollars yeah. on that, yeah. people were saying it should just go the opposite. It should be fairless. Yeah. And now no. they're coming to their senses. Bus riders are already paying into transit service. We don't ask drivers to get a day pass, but we ask bus riders, but we all pay the same way. That's wacky. We can afford this. It's just our priorities are um, not focused on supporting people who ride the bus. We really should be like helping people out, making this as easy as possible. And actually, you know, sometimes I think we should be paying people who ride the bus because they're doing us all the biggest favor of reducing our GHGs, not being part of traffic. People who've been riding the bus for 10 years deserve a big fat check. Right. Like you can tap and you get money. We have an $8 billion budget. So we want it all. We want fare free transit, bus only lanes. We want signal priority for our trains. Like if more people ride the buses and see how crappy they are, maybe <laughs> we can actually like get the board to do something about it. We're still so struggling to get our policymakers to really give us the city we all want um, and need. How do we amplify community-led solutions that are always there? And like not romanticizing transit. We got to tell the truth. It's failing most people. So like, how do we support them with some much better service and some dignity that is long overdue? And then how do we also make it work for others? Bike talk. Bike talk. Where we talk about more than just bikes, actually. Sometimes we don't talk about bikes at all. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Richard. My name is Don Ward. I don't know if Nick's going to be joining us for the conversation today, but uh, we also have some actually some great guests, which we always have here on Bike Talk. Um, we have Jessica Meany and Aziz Falag Ariat. They're both with... Uh, Investing in Place, which is a transportation policy advocacy group here in L.A. County, I want to say. You guys focus on L.A. County, yeah? Welcome to the show. Thanks. Hey, Don. Hey. Happy to be here. Hey, nice to meet you, Aziz. I know Jessica for a long time. She's a major advocate in L.A. And And an old uh, school midnight riders way back when. That's right. What was that, like 10 years ago? Mojito and I talk about that. We're like, remember when we were young? (laughs) We were young and crazy and riding bikes everywhere. Hooting and hollering through the Second Street Tunnel. Breaks to drink some beer. Toy ride. Mojito always talks about the toy ride. Aw, I love Mojito. Um, So we just had a Metro board meeting that that actually was a pretty big meeting, right? There was a lot of items that uh, came up. Um, I called in about item 15 and then I heard people, there were lots of people leaving public comment. And, um, you know, I wanted to go through all the items with you and, and kind of get your take on it. And if you know how the board voted and what that means, that'd be great to uh, have a conversation about that. And um, let me know if I'm missing some items, but I saw 45 and 46, which, which had to do with uh, universal, um, universal, uh, what do they call it? It's fareless. Fareless transit initiative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fareless transit, um, which the BRU wanted some kind of a modification, right? To where there was no means testing, which unbelievable that they even 
want to administrate such a thing. Um, but we'll talk about that. And then there was item 15, which is the beautiful Boulevard in Colorado. There was item 47 and 48, which had to do with the widening of the 710. Then there was item eight, which was a budgetary situation. I heard you make a comment that uh, they're barely spending any money on, uh, on, on bus speed. speeds. Yeah. Okay. And then what else was there? 37. I don't know why I wrote that down. I wrote that down in my notes, but I didn't. I think that had to do with widening as well, or am I tripping? I think, I, think, I don't know. I just know about okay. the 710 one. Okay, let's start then, with that one. Okay, that's a hard one. Yeah, Is it was it? Well, just to understand that conversation, I mean, I think first off, huge respect to East Yard for Communities for Environmental Justice, um, Earth Justice, LA Smog Guy, Adrian Martinez on Twitter. And then um, Sehaj, there's like a coalition of environmental groups who have been fighting that for like 10 years. And it just won't die. Um, Joe Linton's been covering a lot of that work. And I, I think a bunch of stuff just came out from Caltrans and the EPA calling that project dead. But for some reason, we just cannot get Metro to fully go on that. Um, a really big shout out, though, I think, to Supervisor Solis, who just continues to fight for the community and was not taking any flack. I particularly liked it when she kind of just shut it down with the highway program manager, Abdullah Ansari, who's just fought complete streets projects and everything like that. Um, I don't know, Aziz, do you have more good insight on where we landed on that? Yeah, so pretty much what happened was that the ending talk, so originally they were going to seize um, the 710 expansion project, which implies that it would like be permanently dead which obviously is like the situation that we all want we don't want this project to continue we don't want families to be displaced and we don't want more toxic air in our communities but pretty much what the language the final language was that it would get um essentially suspended that's what um supervisor janice Hahn suggested so suspended obviously sounds like there could be a chance um as east yard said on twitter that it could possibly be unsuspended again. So it's not 100% dead yet. So we still got a, a lot of a big fight ahead of us um, if we want to get sustainable transportation options along that corridor. Um, I know that, for instance, um, one of the five um, metro plans for BRT would be Atlantic Avenue, which would go from like East Los Angeles all the way down to Long Beach um, that could potentially go forward um, so that would be a great alternative, in my opinion, to, you know, the 710 project. The 710 carries a lot of freight traffic. You know, every time I've driven on the 710, it's just like stacked with trucks down there. It seems obvious to me that they're trying to widen it because of the freight traffic, which would induce more freight traffic. Is there any kind of initiative to beef up rail freight out of the port or what's going on well, we with that? have the that whole also... alameda Co yeah. yeah i mean there's a the whole alameda corridor that we built 10 15 20 years ago right so there is a rail yard right and yes it's commonly referred to as the diesel death zone um the air quality is is that crappy and right? that's because of the, the freight uh -huh. as well it's also it's because of freight yep. but it's, trucks as well it's the entire goods movement like mm. industry that's moving right there I've never understood why we invested, like I've never understood that, why the Alameda, Alameda rail corridor isn't more heavily used and why we're not talking about that, right? So we invested in that rail corridor. It's really awesome. It's super underutilized. 
the best explanation I've ever heard from people is that the point to point distribution that trucks have compared to rail is just favored by a lot of people. But if we could, and, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I mean, that's because we make it easy yeah. for trucks, right? We keep widening the five and the 710 and the yeah. and 605 the, and the 210. Right. And all the warehouses and the IE, which continues all the bad pollution over to there. Um, so, yeah. So that, okay. So the freight rail in your opinion is not, it's not be, the Alameda corridor is not being used enough and they're trying to widen the freeway which will induce more freight truck traffic um okay so they voted to suspend that so that sounds like that will come back at some point yeah and i I think i think there's a couple of things that i want to uplift is is the gateway cog councils of governments right so we have in LA County, we're so giant, we have about nine subregions which have councils of governments, but all totally different. But the Gateways Cog has favored freeway and highway stuff forever. I don't know if you remember, Don, when we were fighting for money in Measure M for active transportation for sidewalks and bike lanes, they were the only subregion to not allocate any of their Measure M dollars. They fought a tooth and nail. So, so there's, and there's also a pretty big disconnect um, in my mind with who sits on the Gateway Cog versus the communities they're serving. Um, those, that's a pretty big Latino community, young, like, and, and it's just a governance issue. I, I don't know, maybe that's the most polite way I can say it. So that, that continues to be problematic. Um, and there's just always this go-to. I mean, it's clearly a huge issue and our ports play a big role in our region. But I thought also that was interesting is the ECR tweet is like a lot of stuff, the community has the answers. We just started freaking listening to them. They tweeted, so way back when, I think it was 2012, they had a community preferred alternative, which was like almost exactly what Phil Washington was saying when he was like, let's reimagine highways. And so when will we listen to East Yard and their community members who who have solutions? I, I don't have the solutions, but I think the people who live there and have been dealing with this for years really do. Yeah, and there's a lot of resistance now. I mean, East Yards have been doing this for years. Um, Happy and also in like Downey, the Happy City Coalition led by Alex Contreras has been fighting the 5605 expansion up there. So it's really the gateway cog who just wants to spend a lot of money on highways and not think of any like alternatives. But there are a lot of whether it's in Long Beach or Kodai or in Downey, there are a lot of groups that are um, fighting against that car dependent status quo. Now, the gateway cog is. Tell, tell me about the board. How is, who makes up the board and how does it get appointed? Or I guess, I guess it's just an agreement between the cities that are around the port, right? That's considered to be the gateway. Column. I don't know how many number of cities. I would say it's 28 cities. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, the gate, Southeast Los Angeles County is filled as like most of Los Angeles County, lots and lots of small cities. Right, so it's made up of whatever the geographic boundaries are. It's a lot of the 710, I wanna say the 105, the 605. Um, And it's elected officials from all of those cities. The cities themselves nominate a council member or mayor to go serve on the COG. So it's all elected officials, yeah. I'm in a group, the uh, No on 710 
group. I forget the exact name on Facebook, but I see a lot. Of, they're basically based in like Pasadena mm. and Alhambra, I guess. And um, I posed the question there. You know, it's like they kind of got their way, right? Mm-hmm. Like the yes. 710 is not going to go through yes. Pasadena. I, I kind of posed this question to the group. It's like, hey, how about you guys lend some political support to the folks fighting it on the South End? Because... I mean, is anything truly dead? Like in a few years, could that, could they come back and say like, hey, look, truck traffic is so severe on the 710. We have to reopen this case on the North. Like, is there some motivation for them to get involved besides, you know, altruism? I mean, who knows, right? I mean, yeah, as any project, every, any zombie highway project in Southern California ever dead, who knows? But Mm. it would be quite powerful if they did support the Southeast community members. Because there's a lot of political clout there, right? Yeah. So um, it might be worth like rallying those folks to, I don't know, they probably got their way and they're probably not that interested, but it would be something if they actually lended their support. That's a good idea. Yeah. Great showing of solidarity if they did. Yeah. And also there's, there has to be some kind of self-interest there because if we're widening the 710 on the South, it just seems like those trucks are going to find their way through that area, no matter what. I mean, if it gets really clogged up and we're inducing more truck traffic on the South, it's going to find its way through Pasadena and Alhambra and the 210. So it just seems like there's even like a, like they, they should be self-interested in like continuing that fight. I mean, honestly, we all should be, right? Totally. Um, I mean, especially like with the explosion of the Amazon warehouses. I think I heard on the LA podcast that like Amazon warehouses tripled their footprint in just this past year with COVID. And now they have, Amazon has its own delivery trucks, right? They're no longer doing it on UPS. Right. And so all of us might like, not speak for myself. We ordered us so much stuff online during particularly the scary days of the pandemic. Um, we all play a role in that. Yeah. Well, I think um, now we're starting to see some movement. So um, a couple of days ago, Streets Wall, Jessica and I were on a um, call earlier with Michael Schneider, executive director. So Streets for All, Happy City Coalition and Sunrise Movement have this new campaign going that's called Destruction for Nada. And pretty much their goal is to like end all like freeway expansions across LA County. So that could be like a really potent um, vehicle that could end up getting people from other areas such as Pasadena um, to like stand in solidarity, not only um, just in the 710 South, but also the 605, five widening and Downey. And that could be the truthful that really extends countywide. So to answer your earlier question, Don, that may be like a potential like vehicle. And it's interesting that the Alameda corridor is underused. I didn't realize that. I thought it was maxed out and that there was some resistance to expanding it or I don't even know if that's possible, but they were expanding service um, because of diesel fumes from the trains too, or is that an issue or no? I don't know enough to really say but it it does seem like i don't understand why we never hear about solutions on rail um considering we invested in that whole corridor quite significantly but maybe east yard people know i I don't know enough of the ins and outs on that one okay they voted yes to pause that widening so that's good news for now on 47 and 48 right yep okay Let's move on to 45 and 46, which was the uh, 
universal fareless, uh, how do I say that? Fareless bus fare? A lot of people call it the FSI. Okay. People at Metro call it that, the Fareless System Initiative. Okay. So they proposed to do a pilot and they, you know, I, I, I'm not familiar with it as much as I should be, but what I heard was there was talk of means testing um, folks. So I guess you'd have to do some kind of uh, application proving that you are low income to get a tap card. They're still going to use tap cards. They won't just like let people on the bus. You have to still have a tap card kind of deal. I think so. I mean, I think Don, one thing that's really, so, so first off, just shout out to bus riders union. who has been calling for this for 15, 20 years. Right. Totally. Uh, uh, and I, like, I, I want to point out real quick, like 10 years ago when there was discussion about putting in fare gates and spending yeah, $80 yeah, million dollars yeah, on that, yeah. people were saying it should just go the opposite. It should be fareless. Yeah. They spent oh $80 million. I'm sure, I'm absolutely positive they didn't get a return on investment. No. And now no. they're coming to their senses. So we just blew $80 million. Okay, sorry. Yeah, no, that, I wish that it was, it was 2000 seven or something they did that remember how beautiful the red line and all those places used to be and it was like designed like that for like safety right so lots of people can exit really quickly we live in earthquake country like it was intentional and it was i don't know i also thought it was a little highly suspect um about which security firms was getting to install those like the whole Mm -hmm. the whole boondoggle but yeah so and also Strategic Alliance for a Just Economy. They've been hustling really hard on this initiative, Act LA. We've been more just supporting those partners um, and people really pushing for it. But so let's see. What I think is really interesting or strange is this whole idea just kind of came out of the blue last September when we were fighting really hard to restore bus service at a budget hearing and picking up a lot of speed. And Phil Washington just dropped on the floor like, hey, let's consider fare free transit. And it really redirected the whole conversation as opposed to some attention we really needed on the quality of bus service. But nevertheless, it's a great idea. Totally support it. I mean, I think here in Los Angeles region, of course, it's not free. Buses cost stuff. But I think it's really important to remember that almost 70% of how we pay for our transportation in LA, our, our highways, our sidewalks, our bike lanes, our buses is from sales taxes, right? So bus riders are already paying into transit service. Um, we don't ask drivers to get a day pass, but we ask bus riders, but we all pay the same way. That's wacky. Um, so Phil introduced it in September. Mayor Garcetti has been extraordinarily out there supporting it. They created an internal task force at Metro called the Metro Fairless Whatever Task Force, which oddly we heard all of those people on that task force had to sign NDAs. Right. So just a lot of puzzling questions. The board, we've never seen something move so fast without kind of a base foundation of a lot of work going. But where it landed yesterday um, is one big win we saw, certainly, was Supervisor Mitchell, seconded by Bonin um, and supported by the mayor. We were supposed to start collecting fares on buses starting, I think, June 28th. But so then they were going to start collecting fares, but then in August, they were going to roll out some pilot fareless initiative for college students, and I think K through 12, and just all these messy communications and starts, fits and stops. So we did see the board approve suspending fare collection on buses until they figure this out. 
I think the next wave is a pilot, maybe in August, maybe in the fall for K through 12 students and community college students. And then possibly a universal one in, in the winter. It's all a little fuzzy. Um, it's an exciting conversation. I mean, Don, the amount of money they Metro is budgeting to get in fares in this next year is about, I think, $220 million. That's a drop in an $8 billion budget. Metro got $2 billion in federal COVID relief dollars. We can afford this. Um, mm -hmm. It's just our priorities are a little um, not focused on supporting people who ride the bus. Aziz, do you have a better explanation of where we are on FSI or more to add, I guess? Yeah, I guess a bit more to add. So it seems what the direction and this like was repeated by Garcetti and also repeated by Holly Mitchell was that this was the, like the program that was going to go forth was not going to be means tested. So people wouldn't have to go like send like, you know, forms to Metro, you know, prove your poverty, which is really what, you know, all means tested programs are essentially. So Holly Mitchell said that what was kind of being the dominant form being looked at is something called attestation, which to be honest, I never heard of until yesterday. I didn't know that was such a government policy, but attestation is pretty much like you self-validate yourself. You like say who you say, you say who you say you are, and then essentially you get the service for free. Um, so pretty much what Holly Mitchell was saying is that that's what we're going to look at. But if there's like other options, so there's a bit of wiggle room there. So if there's other options, so for instance, if um, advocates um, continue to push for um, universal fare free transit, which is what we definitely should. Um, I still have a lot of questions about attestation. I know universal programs in general are very popular and broadly supported. Um, there's still like those questions that have to be answered and still, still a lot of fight to keep I was going to, the, the point I was trying to make on public comment, and they only gave you a minute to talk about all these things, is like, how much does it cost? Okay, two things. It's like, how much does it cost to administrate uh, means testing? That's more expense. And secondly, it's like, what are they afraid of? They're afraid that people of means are going to start using public transport. That's like what we want. We want people to get on the bus. Like, there's an opportunity. Like, they shouldn't even have tap cards, in my opinion. I know they need to track the, I guess they need to track the trips or something. But it's like, if I'm out on the, you know, if, if I'm a person of means and I'm out at a bar or something and I suddenly see a bus and I'm like, oh, I'll just get on the bus and go home instead of driving or whatever it is. It's like, why would you want to deny that person that opportunity by introducing some process and then you're like demanding that people that aren't of means fill out more paperwork which is already like a pain in the ass for people of less i don't get it like it's more expense more paperwork and less people getting on the bus less chances for people to discover public transit well, yeah, I totally co-sign all of that and all of the costs of enforcing fares and blah, blah, blah. But also like, Don, I was always really struck. I think there's something like 800,000 kids, 800,000 students at LAUSD and less than 100,000 of them are using the Metro K through 12 reduced fare tap card. They don't even know about it. It's a super complicated process. Like, so we've seen, at least for me, uh, that these like reduced fare programs 
people don't access them. They don't, you know, they're not. And then like, also, I think we also live in a region with a lot of people with mixed status families and undocumented who are not looking to give over all their paperwork to prove who they are. Like, let's just, we, we have the poorest people who ride our buses in particular in LA, we have the poorest transit ridership in the country. Like we, we, we really should be like helping people out, making this as easy as possible. And actually, you know, sometimes I think we should be paying people who ride the bus because they're doing us all the biggest favor of reducing our GHGs, not being part of traffic. Like they just, people who've been riding the bus for 10 years deserve a big fat check, like <laughs> not more fares or complications or tell us your whatevs. Like it's, it's backwards to me. Right. That's actually a great idea. Like you can tap and you get money. That's, that's what I've been joking with one of my friends. <laughs> um, I think you'd have people just like no, I don't know, taking trips just to get paid. Um, <laughs> that'd be fun. Um, the, the sort of cynical side of me is saying, okay, if we go fareless, does that absolve Metro of providing good service? Cause they'll just be like, oh, well, do you get what you get? It's free. Come on people. Like, will that attitude emerge? Like, is that, a, is that a threat to emerge with this? I've seen you tweeting about this, Aziz. You want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, I think in, like, transportation, we're often, like, given, like, what I think is a false binary between, like, operations versus, like, providing, like, fare-free transit. So, for instance, people, a lot of people say, like, oh, yeah, if you, for instance, make um, service-free, for instance, like, bus service will worsen because, um, you know, there's less like operating revenue there to be available. Um, I think in Los Angeles though, it's kind of different because for instance, as Jessica said earlier, um, we're funded primarily by sales tax. So operations revenue is a very small drop in the bucket in general, that's a huge thing. And then I think another thing is, is it's, we're kind of assuming like the status quo right here. Like I understand like if like when, you know, fiscally tight like administrations, like whether it's like state or federal, like money could be like particularly very dry, but we have to think about like, if there's like options, like for instance, like federal funding and like getting federal funding that goes like directly to like increasing like operations, increasing that revenue service hour, like, we could like essentially provide high, better fare, better service as well as, you know, providing for free transit as well. So I think it's always like, you got to look for like different um, revenue sources. You got to be like smart and looking for different options. Yeah. I mean, we, we have an $8 billion budget. Like we can figure this out if we want. And so we want it all. We want fare free transit. We want bus only lanes. We want signal priority for our trains. Like, and I think like once maybe sliver of hope is if more people ride the buses and see how crappy they are, right? Maybe <laughs> we can actually like get the board to do something about it. I mean, Build political uh, support for it. Dumb buses are worse in 2021, even before COVID than they were in the year 2000. So we've had two county sales taxes, R&M. We just had a two, we're having a two, infusion of $2 billion from the federal government for COVID relief. And we still have shitty buses that don't work for the majority of people. Tell me about like the buses I've born, I've I've been on the bus my whole life. The buses have always sucked. There was kind of this little light that came on around 2008 or 2009 where like frequency was kicking ass on the red line. I don't know about buses, 
but it was sort of like, whoa, this is actually getting better. But I don't know. As they they kind of went back to their same 20 minute service off peak hours or whatever. Anyways, um, in measure M, is it hardwired as far as like our highway budget? You know, I know that some of that money was said to go to highways. Can that be reallocated at this point? Or was that hardwired? Like, can we demand some of that highway money get transferred over to the bus service? Or is that just hardwired and we're just stuck with whatever those numbers were? I don't think we're stuck with anything. I think it's just about priorities. So every 10 years, you can reevaluate the sales tax, right? So Measure M's 2016. So what are we, five years into it? They just did a little bit of a tweaker on R. And also we just, we're seeing this motion that should go through the next month that creates um, highway dollars eligible for complete streets uses. So transit, sidewalks, bike lanes. So you, you can expand the definition of what a highway project should be addressing, right? So it's just not capacity. Um, but also like what's really hard for me is 20% of Measure M was for bus ops. It's one of the reasons I was really fired up about it. Um, Measure M is way less capital. Measure R was like all about mega projects, which is really mixed feelings about that. But, but what we do though, is we peel away that operations money for a billion dollar policing contract, like for all this other crap and not for, yes. The policing contract comes out of the same money that's set aside for transit operations. Crazy. And, and we've seen total mismanagement of that with a, just I don't know, a couple months ago in front of the board was the escalation of 17% of the costs on that contract without people really noticing. Um, yeah. Wow. So that's another reason to get rid of the fare gates too, because you'd need less enforcement. You could save money there. There's, Okay, so 45 and 46, they they voted to, we're good on that, right? They voted to do we're the pilot. For, we're good for now. I, I think that like really holding Metro accountable for the direction of the board members we heard to suspend fair collection on buses till they figure it out, right? People are still really hurting from COVID, especially economically. I think they're going to continue to talk it out and figure out what the pilot looks like. I think there's a lot of need for continued advocacy for sure. It's not over um, at all, but I think some important conversations are starting to happen. And I think actually there's also more sunlighting going on to what's happening um, and more people are aware of, of what's in play. Okay. Now let's go to item eight real quick. That was the the budget that you spoke on. I don't know about uh, item eight. Tell us, tell us about that and, and what you were sure. advocating for. Sure. So Metro's got this crazy thing where they put out an $8 billion budget for two week public review. And then they do a hearing that's typically over in less than an hour. Um, they did this last year and they did it again this year and they've probably been doing it forever, but I've just started really paying attention Unlike the city of LA that has like budget hearings for days and days and you hear the council members in the city of LA ask for report backs and people dig into it. This is not happening at Metro. We see a budget book drop. I think it was like May 5th. The hearing was the 14th. So two weeks is not enough time for even the staff for who work for the policymakers to figure out and to ask questions. So I wouldn't say it's a process that's really designed for a lot of input. 
from policymakers, you know, advocates like us, community members, people are really shut out. But, and, and I just think that like, we spend a lot of time policy, blah, blah, blah. But really the budget book is the most important policy document we have. And without transparency, without people being able to be included, it's, it's, it's just not good for our region, for our type of governance, for what people need to do to hold our agency accountable who's spending our, our shared public dollars. So, so it's the largest budget Metro has ever seen at a whopping $8 billion in one year. Metro is a huge agency. Right, our new incoming CEO—it's—it's it's like running a Fortune 300 company, basically, you know. And so, just not a lot of transparency or accountability to the communities they serve. Um, what? So, one of the things I was talking about is—I don't know, Don, if you remember all the next gen talk, right? So, next gen started in 2018. A lot of us went to so many meetings and. You know, I really love the staff and I really love the ideas that they had with fast, frequent and reliable service and all the maps and stuff. But we haven't really seen it funded. We haven't really seen it implemented except the removal of many stops and the consolidation of many things. The only line item in this year budget was for $8 million for next gen to improve bus speeds, right? So if buses are worse than they were in the year 2000, it's because they're so slow and they're more spaced apart and they're more unreliable. The only thing the board was committing to improve or address that was a measly $8 million out of an $8 billion budget. That's screwed up. We're, you know, so not a real commitment in that budget to actually make bus service work for the majority of people, for, for people who use it now. That was the big thing that we we've been focused on for a while. How do we build, so we see a lot of press and a lot of talk about a world-class bus system and, and from, from Metro but not a whole lot of reflection of that in the budget. Um, so we continue to push on that, but we've been, I've been really more hyped lately on this concept of procedural equity, which is a fancy way of saying that people should have access to decision makers who are making decisions that impact their lives. Right now, we do not have that at Metro. Um, we're starting to see it, right? And I think like what's really inspiring is all those people who called in yesterday, all the hundreds of emails they got. And I don't know if you saw it down, we circulated a letter with like seven key issues we wanted to see fixed in the budget. And because of the short time period, we only had about eight days to get people to sign on. But within eight days, 54 organizations signed on. Like, holy shit. Like there's clearly like a resonating something about people want to organize and see change. And so well, some, of the, some cool things that came out of the budget is again, Bonin and Supervisor Mitchell and with the support of Jackie DuPont Walker are, are starting to see this. And they did a motion to do three things. Aziz, you probably know it because you just wrote all about it. But let me see if I can do it. One is to figure out a plan to make the budget process more participatory, longer, maybe a budget hearing of its own standing alone. Two was to dedicate more federal funding that comes in to improve bus operations and bus speeds. And the third was, what was the third, Aziz? I forget the third one. Oh, it was the one about the... Um... In the future, when referencing revenue service hours, calculate oh. and include the impact of relative speeds on actual passenger service. Yeah, and Bonin talked a lot about the blog post that we did on bus speeds that Scott Fraser wrote. So like a lot of good signals that they're hearing advocates. So reason to be hopeful, did we move the money that we wanted to? No, but do we see a growing power of shared demands among a lot of groups? Well, that's pretty next level, I think. And I think a big win from that, um, so I think really 
so I think all of those are really good. But the fact that like we're gonna have like a separate so kind of with the procedural equity, we're gonna having a more thorough public and legislative process. One of the things that Bonin included was that having a separate um, meeting, a separate board meeting that would like have a discussion on the budget. So I think um, since it's like, you know, there's a lot of different line items that were involved, like why should like item eight, which is the budget be like discussed. And then we have to discuss all these other different things as well. Like it should have its own time when everyone could like kind of look over the budget and discuss. So I think that's a, definitely a big win. And as well as getting federal funding um, being prioritized towards bus service, I think that really puts us in a better place for not only just going to the 20% restoration, but expanding beyond that, because we know that the 20% cutting bus service and getting that restored, um, especially when it comes to bus speeds, is clearly not enough. So we clearly need other funding sources that really help like us expand to give LA the bus system it really deserves. Yeah, I mean, it, and I totally co-sign all of that. I think one thing that like it's taking me 10 years to figure out, budget advocacy should start in June. Like, like the most public agencies start developing it in the fall, all internal, none of us see it. But like, and Metro has to do a mid-year budget adjustment in December. We're about to see even more federal money come in. Now we have these seven core demands that a lot of people are all on the same page about. What are we as different groups collaborating to just like, hold us accountable. And I think Supervisor Mitchell continues to signal she's centered around really improving the experience of bus riders. Like what a breath of fresh air that is. Like Bonin's been our only voice really continuing to say that. And then with incoming CEO, Stephanie Wiggins, like, oh my gosh, I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, but today she posted, so, so her first day is at Metro next Tuesday. And so she's been posting all these like, goodbye, thank you, Metrolink IG posts. Today she did a post dedicated to people who ride the bus. I mean, ride the train, ride the Metrolink. And she was like with all these riders and celebrating them and like, what a flip that is, right? And so if we start to see these leaders who are ready to champion people who are on the bus today, not those who are coming for the Olympics, but the one using it right now, and we see more and more groups having shared ideas on the asks we need, one can hope, you know, I'm hopeful. Did we get a good result on eight i guess that was just something that was not going to change in that moment right they just sort of did they pass that budget and they passed it okay with the motion we were talking about for all the next steps okay so i, I think for me one of the good outcomes was the power building that's going on outside the agency and the leaders that are all like you calling in and and the different people from a variety of groups regular community members who are like hey we want to get involved like that's for a very long time, Metro has been able to exist with very little accountability and eyes watching. It's just policy wonks like myself who are obsessed with it. But now we're seeing more just community members saying, hey, I want more. I want better bus service. I want better transportation options. Um, and a lot of yeah. powerful grassroots groups who are just really stepping up. Well, thank you for your work, both of you guys. Um, I want to move to item 15, which is the beautiful boulevard, which... You know, I was listening to all the public comment, and it's so funny because even the opposition to this plan, it's the beautiful Boulevard plan, and we're talking about Colorado Boulevard going through Eagle Rock, and the beautiful Boulevard plan, refinement F1 alignment, or something, refined F1 alignment would be removing a car lane 
on some stretch of Colorado in Eagle Rock. I was listening to the comments and even the opposition. It's like car traffic is their issue. Basically, what, what's going on with Colorado, in my estimation, you know, over the last 50 years or whatever, they put the 134 through. And what they do with these freeways is even right in the beginning, there was traffic. You could find vintage photos of freeway traffic. And it looks like what they ended up doing was carving overflow roads out of what used to be small town business corridors. Like Colorado, it used to be a small town. It was Eagle Rock. That was its own town. They um, gobbled that up into the city of LA. You know, it used to have two red car lines or maybe it was yellow car that went down that street and there was a ton of small businesses. The same thing happened with Riverside. You can see like remnants of what used to be a small business corridor on Riverside. Um, Barham Boulevard is another one. It's like a 134 to the 101 alternate route. You could call it um, Ventura Boulevard. Even there's lengths of Coenga and Ventura Boulevard and Hyperion where they just decided to widen these streets and make it more about car traffic and flow versus local small businesses and pedestrianized areas that people people just walk to and get tasks done rather than have to drive everywhere. So this happened to Colorado Boulevard. And there's a lot of people that are saying, we want our Colorado Boulevard to remain small town. It's like a lot of opposition voices were saying that. It's like, guys, it used to be small town. They carved it into a six lane, you know, overflow road for the 134 and in the process really kind of destroyed the vibe on that street, the small business vibe that used to be there when you could just hop off the red line and do whatever you needed to do. You know, so 15 is an attempt to get that back in my, it's just funny to me to hear people saying, no, I don't want a beautiful boulevard. You know, no, I don't want to reduce Colorado from six lanes to a pedestrian friendly two lanes or four lanes with a bus lane and a bike lane. So how did we end up on that? What did Metro do? Give us the rundown. They moved it forward with the alignment on Colorado. I don't think there's been settlement on, because it, right, it was supposed to like go on even on the 134 for a minute. But I think that, that they've moved forward with Colorado Boulevard. The lane stuff still has to be decided, but it's made a big step forward. And I think the pressure now is on Kevin DeLeon to prioritize the bus only lane. Aziz, did I get that right? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I think the big thing is now, like, they have to decide, like, on how to incorporate and work with the community on how to incorporate elements of the beautiful Boulevard um, proposal into the refined um, F1 proposal. Because it isn't obviously like for like, but there's still a lot of opportunity to do that. And there's going to be um, community participation. Um, I know that. Kevin DeLeon um, announced that there should be more community participation, but I believe there's going to be more participation going forward in which, um, you know, people are going to like pretty much say like the different um, elements of the beautiful Boulevard, like what should like get incorporated, et cetera. So did, okay. So when they voted, they didn't vote to move forward with the F1 alignment. They just voted to move forward that 134 option is out. 
I think they went, they voted to move forward with the F1 alignment. Oh, they did. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Okay. I didn't. Yeah. Sometimes it gets so confusing. Oh my gosh. Super confusing. No, no, I don't understand it at all. And I've been like at those meetings for 10 years. No, it's really confusing. But Michael McDonald and many of the leaders in the equitable ego rocket and have been who, who came up with a beautiful boulevard and have been doing outreach on their own time. They said, Michael sent an email, I feel like this morning, the F1 alignment was approved. And that's great. More to come, but it, it was, I think, considered a win for yesterday. Was it yesterday? Huh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think we need KDL to step up and really make it a high quality project. Like this is a crazy, huge measure M project. You know, it's interesting because I feel like when Metro tries to do like BRT, everything gets so complicated. When they do the what people call quick build bus only lanes, I don't know if you've seen them in downtown, Don, or the, the flower one when we were rehabbing the blue line. They're super cheap. They're super fast. And like they work. One of the things that all the smart people at Metro around buses have figured out is there's lots of pinch points where we have high ridership and lots of congestion. They don't always have to be like miles and miles and miles long, but like the Sunset Dodger Express bus or whatever. What is that? Like a mile, right? But it makes such a huge difference if uh, the bottleneck in front of the Dodger games and stuff like that. But, and also the one on Flower Street, like they're not that long. They're not that expensive. When we do these huge mega projects, it just doesn't seem to be working for Metro. Like without beautiful Boulevard and equitable Eagle Rock stepping in, I, I don't know what we'd be ending up with. Um, I believe like one of the proposals was like having like the bike lane and the BRT lane like together. And I know that um, like Wilshire Boulevard, like that's the case where like you bike in the bus lane. And I myself, um, as someone who is fairly comfortable like riding, like I can ride in like unprotected bike lanes. Um, but like I wouldn't want to ride like with like a bus potentially like behind me. That would just be like totally stressful and like a completely scary experience. So I'm glad that is like not going to happen. Yeah, yeah these, some of those know. bus drivers can be really aggressive. <laughs> these, I don't know if you know Don at all. So he's the Wolfpack hustle that I was texting you that was talking yesterday. Don is like started the marathon crash race. How long ago did you do that, Don? long time ago but and, and i don't know aziz you're aziz is much younger than us don i don't know if you've ever heard of midnight riders like and like all of the bike racing don has been such a pivotal leader in the bike community in the like underground inclusive bike community the kids who just want to have fun like myself and my besties way back when um that really celebrated the bike movement which at the time was a little bike bro-y but i think like all of the excitement about like you know, th those were pretty exciting days. I don't know. I know. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. There was a lot of fun. You know what? It's still going, though. We're just yeah. we're just out of it. But there's yeah. still massive rides. Fixie Goons. Uh, I see them. I'm like, oh, yeah. Western riders. There's, there's, there's still a movement going. And they're, they're actually getting – like Chief Lunas, the guys from Chief Lunas, um, organized, uh, you know, a lot for um, – um, his name was Woon. His nickname was Woon. He was a hit and run on Manchester. Yeah. And those guys, I showed up to one of those rides and they're talking the language. They were talking about pedestrian safety. They were talking about bike safety. Um, they are, it's, it's hopeful. It's very hopeful. That, it that warmed my happen. heart 
to hear you yesterday in your comment talk about people walking. I was like, ah, Don Ward sticking up. I think you even said something about bus stops. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I think like if we flip the script, I always feel like we're so reactive to our agencies. Just take a beat to like celebrate some of the community power that people do on their own. They get, they volunteer. They're lucky enough to be paid advocates like me and Aziz. Like there's, we're still so struggling to get our policymakers to really give us the city we all want um, and need, but there's still like some beautiful spots of like people just kicking ass like yourself, like, you know, all of us. Uh, Let's celebrate ourselves. You know what though? You know what I've, what I've, what I've, what I'm seeing though with this beautiful Boulevard thing, it's like, I think in the past, some of the things about the bike movement, we were pretty aggressive in city hall and everything what I'm seeing that's, that's even more hopeful. I mean, streets for all is doing this a great job and you guys are doing a great job is presenting these people with a vision. Like instead of just saying, no, this is wrong. Like the beautiful Boulevard guys put together a beautiful plan that you could see. And the average person could just get on the website and be like, this is actually really cool. You know, versus like, no, we don't want option this or option that. It's yes, we want this option and asking for something that is the ideal. And and then it's our job to sell it to the public, which is not hard. I mean, you look at beautiful Boulevard and you're like, I want to live near that. If I was, you know, traveling to some other city, I would go there specifically and go have a cup of coffee or something and hang out in that place versus what Colorado is right now, which is a six lane street. So um, I don't know. I was just really inspired to see that they, that they put together this proposal uh, visually, you know, that we can get behind and sell to the public. I think that's really effective. And like that tracks back to the 710, right? So the ECR community preferred or alternative or whatever the right word is, like the vision they wanted eight, nine years ago is mm-hmm. now like finally what met but like thank goodness they had the perseverance to hang in there right oh my gosh but yeah i know right. i mean i think how do we amplify community-led solutions that are always there just don't have the resources that an eight billion dollar agency has i mean the beautiful boulevard website is basically doing a lot of work for free for metro right um, totally yeah you know. hey i gotta wrap up because i want to call my cousin on the east coast before she goes to bed yeah, thanks, guys. I know we only had you for 30 minutes, but I wanted to get through all these things. Oh, there was a ton. We're really glad you were talking about it and really glad you invited us. Yeah, this yeah. was really fun. And yeah, I you... want to take the BRT and I want to visit Michael McDonald and um, Alicia, Felicia Garcia and all these people. And it's like, I want to, I've grown up here and I want a city where I, like, I drive cars, but I don't yeah. want to always have to drive a car mm-hmm. to get somewhere. And, Did you know uh, we got a car? But I'm still so scared of driving. Yeah, we needed one. Well, because when I got when Tupac and I got married, like his mom and brother can't drive. His brother for medical issues, and his mom, she's just a lady who's not going to ever drive. But they need us. And his mom was like sick last year, and thank goodness we had a car to get her back and forth to to the hospital. And um, cars, cars are not evil. No. It's just that there we we spent seventy years designing redesigning the city so that everyone could drive everywhere for everything and this is the result there's traffic everywhere so it's time for new approaches 
and like not romanticizing transit. We got to tell the truth. It's failing most people. And until we make significant improvements on accessing it and all the spe- all that stuff we've been talking about, like I feel like for a long time, a lot of us, maybe myself included, like saw it as a solution, but really it doesn't work for a lot of families and a lot of people. We want to see it work, at least for some of their trips um, and really meet people with what they need as opposed to like, just only people who like uh, one like last thing is like Metro had the lowest transit ridership loss in the country during COVID because people who are using our buses in LA have literally no other choices, right? How do we, so like, how do we support them with some much better service and some dignity that is long overdue? And then how do we also make it work for others? Um, So can I, can I ask you a real quick question? It's like people talk about the speed of the bus and so forth. But in my mind, the more important thing is frequency. Because it's like, I was taking public transit to work. I was actually working in El Segundo and I lived in Los Feliz. And, you know, like there was that thing where the trains were going every 20 minutes or something like that. Or, you know, sure, it was fast. And then I got to the transfer and... I lost all that speed. Maybe it was like maybe five minutes of speed that I gained. I lost because I was waiting 20 minutes for the next train. That's the problem with the bus for me. It's like, I'll go, you know, it's like, I'll decide like, Hey, I want to take the bus today to go to the bar. And I'm sitting there on Hollywood Boulevard, which you would think there would be a bus every five minutes on Hollywood Boulevard. I was waiting 30, 40 minutes for buses and that just had me questioning my life choices at that point. It's like, is there hope for frequency? Is that a part of the conversation? Am I tripping? Totally. No, no. I mean, that's the tagline that they, that we all support in NextGen. That's the, the thing that it's called fast, frequent, and reliable, right? So you need both. Okay. But when you increase speeds, you then get them uh, the buses like out of stuck out of traffic so they can be more frequently. We can run more buses that aren't right now. Like if the buses, are sitting in traffic, you need more buses to hit all that, but they're totally tied. It's, uh, I mean, really everything's on the table for improving our buses. We have a long way to go. Um, Mm. I just hear Metro talking a lot about speed and I never hear them talk about frequency. And I don't know. Anyways, that's a whole other conversation. Um, We're going to wrap it up for you guys. Let you guys go. Really (laughs) appreciate you guys coming on. Yeah. You guys, um, you know, we'd love to have you back, both of you guys. And, uh, you know, talk more about LA and transportation. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thanks for having us. Thanks for talking about it. Okay. And social media shout outs for you guys. Our Twitter handle is invest in place. And if you're curious about all the two and 20, two hours and 20 minutes of public comment, Aziz like knocked it out of the park, live tweeting all the commenters. You know, we really wanted to celebrate everybody who was there and, and really see, I, I don't know, sometimes you feel like you're speaking into a void in public comment, but we, we heard a lot of great people. So there's a whole long thread Aziz did on everyone who commented. So. Okay, and Aziz, your social media? My social media, um, so Twitter, you can find me at Ziza. So my name pretty much backwards, Z-I-Z-A, um, planning. Oh. <laughs> okay, that. Ziza planning. All right, invest All right. in place and Ziza planning on Twitter. Thanks, guys. Cool. Happy Thank Memorial you. Day weekend. Bye. Yeah. I know. Bye. Take care.
transportation shows I care. Every turn of the pedal cleans the air. Green in the green, I'm saving the planet. Just like my friends Daryl, Sean, Toby, and Janet. No greenhouse gas, a tiny carbon footprint up your ass. I'm on a motherfucking bike. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 